Right, so we are in Luke this morning, kicking off a new series um, on uh, for Advent here, and uh, Advent is my absolutely favorite time of the year. Uh, I love the truths that we get to celebrate together as a church family. I love the great Advent hymns as we prepare our hearts for Jesus' coming. I love the hope uh, wrapped up in uh, Advent, um, yeah, truly uh, beautiful time of the year. And if you're not familiar with Advent um, or with the church calendar, um, it's it's one of the one of the really cool things that the church has been doing for many years is tracing the life of Jesus through the year. And so every year, you know, the church historically has spent time starting in Advent with the birth of Jesus and tracing Jesus birth through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, ultimately, uh, then his ascension, and then ultimately the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And each year the church kind of walks through the life of Jesus. It's, it's kind of like what budgeting is to our finances, like the church calendar is to our time. Like we can somehow organize our time around the events of Jesus' life. It's just another way for us to, as followers of Jesus, to shape our lives around what he has done. And so, you know, following the church calendar, walking through the life of Jesus every year um, helps us to just remember, stay focused on Jesus and who he is, keep him front and center in our uh, year. And so we are in the uh, month of Advent, and Advent is the beginning of the Christian calendar year. The word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or visit. And so this is a season where we focus on the coming of Christ and his kingdom. We look at Christ first coming to establish his kingdom recorded in the Gospels and also look forward to his second coming when his kingdom will come in all of its fullness. Uh, Those in the first century were anticipating the Messiah's first coming and those of us here in the 21st century are anticipating his second coming. We're anticipating that day captured so beautifully in the Joy to the world, that great hymn, when no more will sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And God is going to roll back the curse itself through Jesus, and we are going to live happily ever after in his everlasting kingdom. That's what we're longing for in Advent, nothing And so Advent is this beautiful season of anticipation um, set against the high holy days of Halloween and Black Friday and Cyber Tuesday. (laughs) We've got this beautiful season of Advent in which to tune our hearts uh, towards Christ. Uh, But Advent isn't just a season of anticipation, longing for Jesus' return, the restoration of all things where all those sad things are going to come untrue, all those broken things are going, where we're no longer going to have to be focusing on pandemics and viruses and all of these annoying, frustrating things that make life miserable and hard and difficult. Not only are we anticipating the removal of all of those impediments, Advent is also a season of preparation, as we will see this morning. Uh, John Piper says, he says, Advent is to Christmas what Lent is to Easter. Advent is a season 
for us to examine our hearts as we're preparing for the high holy days, for the great celebrations in the church, uh, Christmas and Easter, the two greatest feasts and celebrations we have as a church. Um, Advent is a season of preparation for that feast. It's a season to examine our hearts. It's a season to pray like the psalmist in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There is some preparation that needs to be done if we're going to get the most out of this season of Advent. And no one prepared the way better for Jesus than John the Baptist. So we're going to look briefly at John's ministry of preparation and also how Advent can help us prepare our hearts for Christmas and the coming of Christ into the world. So the big question we're going to be tackling this morning is how can Advent help prepare us for Christmas this year? How can Advent How can this season, these four Sundays that we're going to be celebrating together and hopefully every day leading up to Christmas that we can be preparing our hearts, centering our hearts on Christ. And so uh, if you're wanting to follow along here, I'm going to be looking at first the signpost to joy in verse 14, a messenger of joy. We're going to look closely at his identity and then a mission of joy. So Uh, Three points this morning, and my aim for this Advent series is that it would help prepare our hearts to celebrate the good news of great joy that we have in Jesus. So let's pray that God would meet us as we enter into this season uh, together, and that there would be great joy flowing out of our hearts and out of our church as we gather around, focus our hearts on Jesus in this season. And so, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people uh, together, uh, the opportunity to focus our hearts anew on Jesus. We thank you for this season where we reflect on his birth, God coming to dwell among us, entering into the messiness of life, the brokenness of life, the challenges, the difficulties, all of the ways uh, that we struggle. Uh, God, you came down to enter into it, to redeem, to rescue, to restore, and make all things new. And so we pray this morning as we uh, begin this process of preparation that you would stir in our hearts Uh, great joy, God, for all that you're doing in our lives, in this church community here and in our city and outwards to the world. And would you get the glory in all uh, we say and do this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by looking here. We're in Luke chapter 1. Let's start by looking at our first signpost to joy in this series. We're in a series, Good News of Great Joy. Uh, And so what's the first signpost along this journey as we're focusing our hearts on the joy uh, that we have, particularly in this season? And so we're in Luke chapter 1, if you're following along in your Bibles, verses 13 and 14. uh, The angel is just telling Zechariah about the birth of his son. And we read in verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And so whenever you see words like joy and gladness and rejoicing three times in one verse, you know that our 
author is trying to get our attention, that there is some good news of great joy here in the text for us to wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, translates this this, uh, verse in the message. He says, don't be afraid. Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your life will bear a son. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. I love that, right? This is a message of great joy, great celebration. God is breaking into history. Uh, First, notice that his parents are going to have much joy and gladness. This elderly couple, we don't have, I'm not digging into all the context this year, But this elderly couple, you need to know, have been unable to have children their entire lives. Um, But Zechariah is a priest. He's been longing for all the promises of God to come to their fruition. And the angel promises them, finally, in their old age, a son. Um, Obviously, just like Abraham and Sarah in the series we just finished, in their old age, God is going to use this elderly couple's child to prepare the way for his blessings to flow far as the curse is found. Just like God promised Abraham that he would bless all the families of the earth through him here, once again, we see God is on the scene using this elderly couple uh, who's been unable to have children to bless the world once again. But not only will there be joy for this elderly, sweet couple that have been just worshiping God faithfully, following him all their lives, the angel promises that his birth is going to be a source of rejoicing for many. Did you notice that? Not only are they going to have great joy and gladness um, in their own hearts, but he, gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. This is going to be, what God is doing through the birth of John is going to be nothing short of a source of joy for many people in Israel. And then in verse 19, the angel calls this birth announcement Good news, right? Because the birth is going to prepare the way for even better news, the good news of great joy that the angels herald in chapter 2, verse 10, around the birth of Jesus. So this first signpost of joy is pointing to the gospel, good news about Christ and his kingdom. I love Martin Luther's definition of the gospel. He calls it glad tidings, good news, welcome information, a shout or something that makes one sing and talk and rejoice, right? That's what's happening. That's what John's birth is going to bring on the scene, an opportunity for glad tidings to be heralded, for good news to sound forth, for welcome information, for shouts to emerge from God's people as we celebrate what God is doing in his world, right? God is about to fulfill his ancient promises to bless all the nations of the earth through Jesus, to put his king on the throne and to deal with death and sin and Satan once and for all. And John the Baptist is going to be a large neon sign pointing us to the joy that we have in Jesus. It's worth pausing here uh, to recognize, of course, that there are lots of other things promising us joy out there in the world, right? And I'm not even just talking about bad things per se, but there are a lot of other good things competing for our joy out there. But even after the gifts are unwrapped and the food enjoyed and family and friends gathered together, uh, there's still something missing, even from our best holiday uh, experiences. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this in Mere Christianity. He said, most people, if they had really learned to look into their hearts, 
would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, uh, but they never quite keep their promises. The longings which arise when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first travel, no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There is something we grasp at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife and the hotels and the scenery may have been excellent and chemistry may be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. I can testify this weekend that the Mulker's pies were phenomenal, uh, that Jamie's homemade ice cream was delicious, uh, that time with family, especially having my mom in town, was incredibly sweet. Um, I can testify that the Bergen-Bartlett football game was pretty epic. This time around, getting all of those joys and pleasures that were experienced, watching Michigan beat uh, Ohio State, right? There, there was something in those moments, right? There was some joy uh, that was there, but, but that was lasting joy. Still, there's something that evades us, even in those best moments, even in those wonderful highlight reels from our holiday weekends. And that's not even, of course, to speak of the more difficult moments that surround so many of our holiday seasons. And this is where Advent beckons us into deeper and more lasting Joy, And I'm hoping this series uh, stirs up a longing, a desire in us for that deeper and more lasting joy. So with all these voices out there beckoning us to joy, how do we know which ones to trust, right? We've looked uh, at our first signpost to joy in John's birth, uh, but next I want to look a little bit more closely at what sets this messenger of joy apart. Why should we listen to him? What makes John's message of joy so unique, so special, so one of a kind. What is he offering that you can't get uh, off of Amazon Prime? <laughs> what is he offering that you can't pick up at the mall that, that, he, that the local uh, apple pies on display won't uh, give you? Well, first of all, I want you to notice what, what, John, what we learn here in our text about John's identity. Let's look a little bit more closely here in verses 15 through 17. So we saw already that he's going to be a source of joy in verse 14, then in verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Notice what the angel says about John's identity. First, he says he will be great before the Lord. This is going to be one of God's greatest prophets. In fact, Jesus says later in Luke 7, 28, I tell you that among those born of woman, none is greater than John. God is going to pull out all the stops for the birth of his son. And so he sends John, Israel's greatest prophet, to come and herald the good news of this event. With the birth of John the Baptist, God is preparing to do something truly great, right? We're already cued in by his miraculous birth to barren parents who are old and beyond childbearing stage. This is going to be one of the great turning points in human history, God's kingdom coming, right? God's own son being born. And so we see that God is doing something great. 
with the birth of John. Notice second, that he must not drink wine or strong drink, but will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, right? These qualifications were similar to those of a Nazarite vow, uh, right, minus the haircutting here, which is a special vow to dedicate someone entirely to the Lord. That's what seems to be the case in this circumstance. This prophet is going to be entirely devoted to the Lord, right? Under ordinary circumstances, moderate drinking was permissible. Uh, but John would be noted not for his drinking of wine or strong drink. He's not going to be filled with alcohol, but he's going to be filled with the Spirit even from birth. And one of the defining marks of the prophets in the Old Testament is God's Spirit rushing upon them. So they'd be filled with courage to speak with boldness and great power God's Word. Here's a prophet that's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. God is going to be preparing him for the work that he has even from his mother's womb. He's going to be Israel's greatest prophet filled with God's Spirit uh, to highlight God's Son come in the flesh. And then notice finally in verse 17 that he will go before in the spirit and power of Elijah, right? Why does he mention Elijah here? I mean, think of all the great prophets, Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Daniel. I mean, there's so many great prophets that he could have chosen. Uh, Why does he say he's going to go before in the spirit and power of Elijah? Well, if you turn with me to the very last page of the Old Testament, those of you who actually have a Bible in front of you, which is always interesting. I I do encourage that highly, the having of Bibles. I think it's a great practice to have the Word of God in front of you. It's really helpful, believe it or not. And so when you're in Malachi, the very last chapter of the Bible, in chapter 4, verse 5, the very last words of the Old Testament, you flip right over here to the New Testament, you read these very interesting words. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. These are the last words in the Old Testament followed by 400 years of silence, right? No prophets, no word from God and yet God's people are waiting, anticipating, longing for a word from the Lord and when God responds in the awesome day of the Lord. The prophet Elijah is going to be on the scene. And here we are 400 years later. John is coming on the scene. He's going to be the fulfillment of this promise. This prophet Elijah that's going to come on the scene and prepare the way for the Lord. This is a great and climactic event. God is about to fulfill all of his promises. If ever there was someone to pay attention to, this is that person who's going to bring all of God's promises to their fruition. So while there's lots of other good news, people offering us good news out there, John has a very unique resume in terms of bringing God's purposes to their fruition. He was born to herald God's ancient promises, finally coming to fulfillment. He was born to prepare the way for the greatest news, the coming of Christ in his kingdom. So, John is uniquely qualified to bring this good news of great joy. How does he do it? What's he going to do when he steps onto the scene? We see here, if you're following along in verse 16, uh, John's mission of joy. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So what's John's mission? To turn the children of Israel to the Lord our God. How's he going to bring much rejoicing, much joy, much gladness? He's going to turn people to 
the Lord their God, right? Many will rejoice because John will turn their hearts back to the source of deepest joy, the fountain of all other joys. Um, He's going to be turning God's people to the Lord their God. Uh, Daryl Box says the idea of turning to God is a standard Old Testament phrase for repentance of the covenant people, a return to the God of salvation. Repentance is turning from lesser joys to the source of all joy, the source of our deepest joy. That's what John's mission is. He's turning the hearts of God's people to the Lord their God. He's going after the hearts of God's people to turn them from all the distractions, all the factions, the different sects, the different messianic expectations to Jesus and his coming kingdom. John wants to turn the hearts of his people to what is of first importance, what is central. His ministry and mission is turning hearts to Jesus for the joy of God's people. And uh, not only is John's mission to turn hearts to the source of deepest joy, to bring God's people into the joy they can only find in Jesus, John's mission will also turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Reconciliation with God also means reconciliation of broken families, reconciliation of the generations. Uh, I thought it was interesting and striking. Mark Bergen likes to say there are only two kinds of people— those who have forgiven their parents and those who haven't. <laughs> I thought that, that was a great quote. Part of the reconciliation that Jesus brings is reconciliation of fathers to children, of parents to each other, the ability for generations and generational patterns of sin and brokenness to be overcome through the gospel. That's one of the beautiful gifts of what God is doing. Notice also John's mission is to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Reconciliation to God means abandoning the path of disobedience to folly and injustice to pursue wisdom out in the public square. God is giving us wisdom to be God's people out in the marketplace, out in the city square, to bring justice and peace and shalom and flourishing to the culture around us. All of these are blessings flowing out of this good news that John has. First and foremost, joy that we have in the coming of Jesus, uh, reconciliation brought into the life of families, and finally wisdom that gives us justice, wisdom for life out there in the marketplace of ideas. Finally, John's whole mission can be summed up in these words at the end of verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's the summary of everything John is doing. All the work of turning hearts to Jesus, to the source of our ultimate joy in him, reconciling families, uh, giving his people the wisdom they need to be a light to the nations, a city set on hell. All of this could be summarized as preparing the hearts of God's people to receive Jesus. And so how prepared are you for Jesus coming this year? How prepared are you to reflect on the wonder of the incarnation God with us. Just like God pulled out all the stops, prepared all the fanfare for the coming of Jesus, uh, the church has found Advent to be a helpful way to prepare our hearts for Jesus' coming, for Jesus' uh, appearance among us. The church has found that one day is simply not sufficient to capture the wonder of the incarnation. We need a whole month to marvel at the mystery of God becoming flesh, moving into our world, experiencing all the same temptations and brokenness and frustration and futility that we experience every day, yet living the perfect life we could never live in our place. 
We need a whole month to celebrate the coming of his kingdom to anticipate its fullness, right? To, to ponder and reflect that the curse is going to be rolled back, that God is going to make everything new all through his life and his death and resurrection. I think we get this on a personal level in our lives, right? We prepare for important milestones in our lives. We anticipate big events and moments, right? We think about birthdays, we think about anniversaries and those things. Uh, My wife and I, for our 10-year anniversary, spent a whole year planning and preparing and anticipating uh, what it was going to be like. We, We wanted to go, our anniversary is in February, Um, which is pretty rough in Michigan. And so we wanted to find ourselves somewhere tropical with palm trees where we could have long walks on the beach, where we could reflect deeply on God's faithfulness in our lives, go to all of our favorite restaurants and, you know, just be able to hang out on the beach and just reconnect and celebrate what God had been doing over the course of those 10 years, and then also grieve a little bit as we had just gone through in that year, uh, one of those difficult miscarriages in our whole marriage, and just want to be able to reflect on that and process that and lament and grieve and have the space to just see what God is doing. We spent an entire year preparing, planning, finding those world-class Cuban restaurants in Miami. We found the perfect oceanfront condo, and uh, you know we were able to see friends that we hadn't seen in years, and all of that planning, all that preparation, anticipation, I can see it right now. I can see myself looking out that window out of this beautiful azul tropical, you know, semi-tropical uh, ocean right outside of Miami there. It was a beautiful moment, right? We, we do that, right, in our lives, right? We prepare, we plan for those great weddings, and we plan for those anniversaries, and we plan for the graduations, and we put that time and effort, and we experience oftentimes the joy that comes with that. And we probably all also experience, on the other hand, that anniversary where we roll into that anniversary, we're like, oh yeah, what are we gonna do this year, babe? Uh, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> I guess we're just going to, going to the usual. And, <laughs> and you know, that's, that's fine. And God meets us in some of those random, spontaneous, fun, exciting things. Uh, but there's something to be said, right, in our lives for the planning and uh, the preparation that goes into some of these incredible trips Uh, And uh, I guess my hope and my prayer as we step into this Advent season is that you might use some of your powers of imagination uh, to prepare (laughs) prepare and plan for the coming of Jesus at the time and effort that you spend thinking about your next anniversary or your graduation or the next great milestone in your life. Uh, that you might start thinking and planning right now how you're going to spend this Advent season making it magical in the best way uh, possible, making it meaningful. We're going to be here doing our best this Advent season to be preaching on the good news of great joy, to pointing you to Jesus and the joy that you can only find in him. We're going to be singing the songs, right? We're going to be lighting the candles. Uh, We're going to be doing our part. We've got an Advent devotional for you to hope focus you on that joy. But wanted to encourage you, man, as you're around the table with your family, um, man, be thinking of the songs that you're going to be singing together. Our family loves to print off the favorite Christmas carols, and we are not, none of us are musical at all. We just bust out a cappella, singing those great Christmas carols together around the table, and you know, we light a little Advent candle, and all the traditions that help make uh, the season more meaningful and more beautiful and its impact greater so that we come finally to that great celebration, those 12 days of Christmas that we get to celebrate 
together, the whole family being off and hanging out together. It's that much more meaningful. Our prayer that as a church this year, as we enter into this season of Christmas, enter the the, the Christian calendar that our lives once again would just be captured by the wonder and the beauty of the incarnation of Jesus, his coming uh, to earth, and that you might be freshly stirred to what it looks like to live out fresh obedience to Jesus, fresh ways to follow him, be a part of his kingdom work in the world. So let me pray that God might meet us in that, and then we'll gather for our time around the Lord's table. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for his coming into the world that we're going to be celebrating for the next many weeks as we prepare and anticipate for Christmas. Uh, We pray, God, that that anticipation, that that longing would be stirred up in our hearts for a joy that can't be had at the shopping mall, that can't be had for sale with any kind of price tag, the joy that only you bring. Um, Would the reality of that joy come and would it land in our hearts in new and fresh ways this season? Uh, Would we as a church just be able to experience great joy together as we celebrate? Um, Would the families here in this church be able to enjoy that celebration? Would roommates be able to find new ways to make room for Jesus in our lives and schedules this year? And would there be great joy uh, as a source of great rejoicing? And would the gospel go forward in new and fresh ways as we have such good news to share with our community. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.